Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. So uh, if you're visiting or you haven't been with us the past couple weeks, we're going through the Apostles' Creed which is a very ancient creed. A creed, creed means believe, and it is the core of our beliefs. So if you go onto our website, um, it's gonna, uh, we have a list there of things we believe and who we want to be, but we actually don't have this in there yet. It will be in there by the end because this is the core. Whenever people want to um, hear about a church or if someone's a believer and they're, they're visiting, they move to a new area and they want to check out a church, they want to know what they believe. Like, are these crazy people? And so if you want to know what we believe, this is what we believe. If you go to the Episcopal, Episcopal Church down the street, um, they're going to have this creed as their beliefs. If you go to the Catholic Church, they're going to have this as their beliefs. If you go to a Christ-centered church, this is the core. These are the essentials of what it means to have a faith in Christ and all that's wrapped up in that. That doesn't mean that anything outside of this isn't important, but it's not essential. These are the essentials. So that's why we're going through them. Um, we, uh, we're only going to read together the first part. So many churches, especially, um, liturgical churches, liturgical means they have, uh, things that they consistently do rituals. Um, but I'm going to have a stand up and we're going to read just the first part. I believe in God, the father. So, um, when it gets to, I believe in Jesus Christ, don't say that yet. So if you could stand with me, please. And then after we read it, we'll sit down and we're just doing the first two lines. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. All right? And the reason that we're doing that is because we're, we're teaching through this, and after we've gone through all of it, then we'll finish together the entire Apostles' Creed. This morning, we're only going to go through the second part right here. So if you could go to the next slide for me, John. This is, we're getting to the part where I believe in Jesus Christ. Um, should be just the very next slide, John. And um, this is the part we're focusing on. However, we're going to go through this for the next three weeks. So for just this morning, John, if you could go to the next slide, um, this is what we're focusing on. And I've highlighted in orange what we're going to focus on this morning. And so it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, when, um, when, uh, when Tyler was up here and he's explaining what we were going to go through, I was like, wow, that really does sound boring. But I promise it's not. Um, because this is important to understand why they put in what they did. Because they wrestled with it. They, they, uh, this was over centuries to, to make sure that they had the core. And um, we start here with, I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about this before. Christ is not Jesus' last name. All right? I know most of you know that, but some of you don't, because it's like, whoever talks about that? Just Jesus Christ. Like, Boogie Rose, Rose, Jesus, Christ, you know, Christ, Mr. Christ. That's not his last name. But they put in both of the names for a reason. Jesus, because he's a historical human being that lived. He was a carpenter. Um, he grew up in a particular area. And so they, they take his name and they set that apart, but they also put in Christ which carries a lot of weight. That is a Jewish tradition, which is powerful 
Because when you think of every church that says this, they're connecting themselves with the Jewish faith. Because what we are saying is that we grew out of the Jewish faith and that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because Christ is the Greek word for Messiah or anointed one. And they, the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ, we are affirming in our heart our connection and our unity with the people of Israel. Except like Messianic Jews, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Not all Jews believe that. Um, but we are from that. His only son, our Lord. That's a big one. Um, we, we were singing it in the songs. We say it all the time, but we don't really realize the power of what that means. Um, that term originated in this form and the power of it in the first century from Emperor, uh, I don't want to mess up his name, but I will, Domitius or Domitian. And he, he took that for himself because he believed he was a god. And he wanted people to call him Lord. And when, by calling him Lord, that meant everything fell underneath him. And if by any chance you put any authority above him, you could be executed. Because he was uh, over Rome and he was the emperor and he made people refer to him as Lord. And down the road when you'd have people that would uh, try to usurp that authority and say, I am now going to be the Lord and we're going to get rid of him. So if there was a rebel that came up, what they would do, and this is an old tradition, they would take incense and they would... um, bring it around this person, and they would anoint them with oil because they were the one that was going to be the new Lord. And so if you've ever entered a Catholic church and you're there for part of their service and they walk up and down the aisles and they're banging the incense and you're like, what is this about? There's power in what they're doing there. They're saying, look, we are affirming that Jesus is the Lord. And when you think about this creed, which as we talked about came uh, uh, into play in the first century, When they said this, they were committing themselves to be killed. Because the emperor, whoever the Lord was at that time, were saying, wait, you're calling Jesus the Lord above me? And that would make you susceptible to being killed. So you could just say that word, and we kind of throw it out there haphazardly, but there's power in that. Because of what it means. And it carried with it much more power then than we hold to it today. And this Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, I shared before that um, with my good friends, uh, I'd go to their church and we'd go through this Apostles' Creed and I didn't understand it. And I remember getting to this, he suffered under Pontius Pilate and I was like, Why waste the time to mention that? Does that really matter? Why do we need to take this creed and blame this guy, Pontius Pilate? Like, what is the point? Well, this is the point. This is the reason they put it in there. Because they didn't have years. They didn't do it like we do today. Like, we all know, well, some of you should know, that it is 2014, the year of our Lord, right? 2014. You have that year. They didn't do that. They didn't have years. Like, for example, in Isaiah... Um, they said in the, in the time of the king, right? King Uzziah. Like they'd say that because they didn't say in the year something, something BC. They'd say by this time when he was king, King Uzziah. So that's how they would determine times. It wasn't like they said, I believe in Jesus Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the emergent very, and he suffered in the year 30. Like they didn't say that. Like, hey, when's your birthday? I was born in five. Yay! 
you know, they didn't have those numbers because they came afterwards. And so when they, when they had this creed and they put in there, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. They're not trying to blame Pilate. They're trying to historically place who they believe in. And they needed to do that because of all the crazy myths that were going around about people that would die and rise from the dead. And they wanted to root it in reality. In fact, um, let me share with you uh, some of the myths. Well, one myth that was going around at that time, and it involved the Nile. And it was someone that died and rose again. And it was about Osiris and Isis. You guys know who Isis is? Hello, the mother of Wonder Woman. Hello. Didn't she have the things, or mother or something? Didn't she have like the Isis things? I know, come on. Some of you girls know what I'm talking about. And unfortunately, some of you guys know what I'm talking about too. She, somehow she was connected with Isis. So it was this belief in Egypt. And um, so Osiris, who's a god, was married to Isis. They were married. Except this is a myth, right? This is one of the beliefs that they believed in. Okay? They believed that Osiris was killed by his brother Seth. And Seth cut him into a bunch of pieces and spread them out all over Egypt. And then Isis, being the good wife she is, was so bummed that she went and gathered him back together and put him back together. And he was back together again. Except, I know this is a little graphic, but this is what they believed. She couldn't find his genitalia. So she couldn't find it because it fell into the Nile. And that's why the Nile every year would overflow. Okay? This is one of the myths that were going around. And so when they share this creed, they're like, no, 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 no. Not some Osiris, Isis thing. No, this is Jesus, who we call the Christ, who lived at this time. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Like, they want to root it in history. Because every year when the Nile overflowed, they're like, oh, there goes Osiris again. They blamed it on Osiris. That that's why the Nile would overflow. I know now some of you are just thinking about Osiris. Sorry about that. But I wanted to make sure that we rooted, you understand why this is so important. Because they wanted everybody to know this was not a myth. And I got to be honest with you, that was one of the biggest obstacles for me believing in Jesus. Because I didn't do any of the research, but I'd hear people going, oh yeah, there was this man, Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. You guys are just making this stuff up. Because I'm, my personality is like many of you. You got to show me some evidence. You got to prove it to me. Or at least have it so that I can go find it. For example, I know I'm going to ruin this for a lot of you because a lot of you are big believers in airborne, that you know, vitamin, whatever that little capsule thing is that you could get. And I remember people going, airborne, you got to get it, man. It's amazing. It was designed by an elementary teacher. And as they said, I'm like, did you just hear yourself? Like, I'm married to an elementary teacher. I know other elementary teachers. I don't see them with little beakers and Bunsen burners in the kitchen, like, creating stuff. Just because they deal with a lot of people with germs does not mean that they know how to create some tablet that magically protects you from all illnesses. Now, I'll look into it, and I looked into it, but I didn't see anything. I'm hearing all of these other, like, magical things that you should go buy, and as soon as you get it, it wards off every sickness. Okay, I've got to look it up. I've got to see it for myself. And it was the same with my faith. Okay? Oh, I did try the Airborne. Because, you know, if people are going to talk about it, I'll try it. And, of course, it didn't work. So I, didn't, I stopped taking it. For some of you, if it in your head tells you it works, fine. And that's what I thought for a lot of believers in Jesus Christ. Oh, it's in your head. It's like a placebo. So you're just believing this because. What I want to do in the brief time that we have this morning, there's, I mean, this has been a, a lifelong effort of, of mine to know what I believe, to have evidence. Because I want evidence. 
Now, there's nothing that you can know for 100% certainty. If you're in a jury and they give you all the evidence, they tell you that. They say, look, we're not asking that you have 100% certainty. Wouldn't you feel good if you were ever in a trial that the jury felt that with 100% certainty? But what can you know with 100% certainty? They tell you with all of the evidence presented before you, you need to make a decision. And I knew that for myself with this faith, with all the other things that we have to test in life, you do it all the time. I had to test this. And so I want to share with you some of the things that I've discovered that have given me faith, where I want to put my trust into this. Because just because somebody tells me that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the only son, that he should be my Lord, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, and that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that isn't enough for me. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at the eyewitness account. That's the only part we're going to focus on. And we really can't go that deep because this is, like I said, a lifelong search. You should be doing this on your own. Hopefully you're not just depending on the little bit of time that we take out this morning. My hope is that you're going to do this on your own because it's out there. You can find this. So now's the time to grab your Bibles. So if you could grab those. And I want you to go to the New Testament, okay? That would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're just going to look at those books. And I'm, literally, you're just going to like open up to those books. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So if you could go there. If you don't have one, please look at the one next to you. So if, I, if you don't have one, you're really kind of missing out. So get closer to each other. Whatever it takes. Move chairs. Do what you got to do. If you look over and you see someone that doesn't have one. And you're like, well, I don't really want to talk to that person. Just go sit next to them and have your Bibles together. Okay? Um, so here we are, the authors of the Gospels. Now, the Gospels, good news, um, there's four books, okay? These are the historical trusted books that we depend on for primary source eyewitness account, okay? Why? Seriously, why should you trust that? I remember uh, being in this uh, junior high room, I think it was sixth grade, and I went to this new school, so I didn't know anybody, and I uh, didn't know where to go. So I just stayed in the classroom during lunch because I was that kid that didn't know anybody. It was the first day. And there's, like, one other kid in there, and I got trapped with that kid. And, of course, it was a Christian and, and a weird one at that. And so I'm sitting with him, and he's just talking to me. And as he's sharing this and talking about these books in my head, I'm thinking, and I don't want to say this because I really want to keep talking with him. I'm thinking, how do you even know these are real? And I didn't want to say that. Um, I think you've heard me share about before. He just wanted to talk to me about back, back masking. So you could turn cassette tapes. For those of you that don't know what they are, these are little tape things that record music. And he goes, if you play those backwards, it's all devil music here. And I'm like, oh, I got to get out of here. So I went and found some friends at lunch. But um, these books, I remember thinking, why do you put your trust in these? He didn't know. How many of us don't know why we trust these? We just trust them blindly. Well, you know, it was, it was put together by some people, and I, I'm sure they knew what they were doing. Okay, don't trust me to create some Bunsen burner chemical for you. This was created by a pastor, and it's going to heal you of all of your colds. You have to look into this. What's the evidence? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In ancient times, you would put an author's name there to give it authority. To give it, so you would look at it and you would trust it. So people would make things up. I mean, I knew this. This is common sense. You know, people have ghost writers. Well, there were people in ancient times, in ancient writing, that would write gospels about Jesus. There was a gospel of Peter. Well, why is it not in the Bible then? Because it wasn't authoritative. They knew it wasn't true. 
They knew they couldn't trust that. Uh, there is a, uh, the Gospel of Mary. Well, I mean, it's Jesus' mom, shouldn't you? But it wasn't from her. They couldn't back it up. They didn't have primary source. Even then, they wanted to know, is this true? Can this be trusted? Uh, the Gospel of um, Philip. They knew about that one. They're like, no, that wasn't actually from Philip. These were people that were using their name to get authority of what they were writing. But they knew historically that it wasn't accurate. And so there's four of them. And they shouldn't have chosen these four guys. Okay, the first one. If you look at your Bibles, the first one in there, this is not in um, chronological order, Matthew. Okay, Matthew is Levi. He's a tax collector, okay? He became one of the apostles, but like, you really don't want to, so if you're going to choose any of the 12, you don't choose this guy. He's the wrong guy to choose, okay? I mean, he's, there's Judas, and then there's the tax collectors, right? So he's like, ah. So if you were to choose a name, just like, I want to choose Matthew. Like, if you go to a, a monastery, they'll choose names. No one's going to choose Matthew because he, he just had that stigma to his name. You know, that, oh, not that guy. Like, people are going to know, but that, oh, okay. But it was from him. So they use that. Uh, Ma- uh, Matthew, then Mark and Luke. Mark and Luke were not apostles. They were followers of Christ, but they were not apostles. So when you put their name in there, why would you put their name in there? It doesn't make sense to choose them. Then there's John, and John's an apostle, which is a totally different situation. I wish we had more time to get into that one. Um, but those four, those are not, those, especially those three, the synoptic gospels are the three that, that line up. You wouldn't choose those, okay? So you've got that. So they, they chose those because they trusted them. But here's the other thing. This is when they were written. They were written, uh, if you were to be the most conservative you could be, even people that don't trust uh, the word of God, historically with form criticism and literature, they trust when they were written. And the most conservative times are, and if you're looking at your Bibles, you've got uh, the first one written was Mark. Okay? Mark wrote that from his testimony given to him by Peter. So Peter did the talking and Mark did the writing. Okay? And you're well, how do we know that? We'll get to that in a second. Um, so the first one was written by Mark, and then there's Matthew, and there's Luke, and they wrote, but they looked at Mark also. Well, did they, in fact, we know there's sections of the Synoptic Gospels that is like, they're identically the same in all three of the first ones, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because we know that Matthew and Luke chose stuff from Mark and copied it. Well, how, how authoritative can that be if you copy it? Well, I don't know how you were, but I've done that for my whole life. Think about it this way. When you are in school, well, I don't know if you did this, but this is what I do. When I'm in school and I'm listening, I listen. And then I look around, it's always a girl that takes the best notes, right? And so I would sit there and I'm like, I'm, I'm more auditory, so I want to listen to it and I want to understand it. So I'll listen and I'll talk to the girl ahead of time. I remember this one girl, Jessie, she wrote, I mean, like typed her writing. You know, the type of person that writes and it looks like typing. And every little thing. And she would just have her head down the whole time. And I'm thinking, I'm getting her notes. Um, she didn't have laptop at that time. And she, she'd write it out. And so I would listen. And I was there. I was an eyewitness to the lecture. I saw it all. I experienced it. Yet, I wanted to double check what I heard. And I know that I missed things. And so I go, Jess, can I see your notes? And she didn't understand what she was writing. She was just really good at writing and keeping track of it. So then I would explain to her what happened. So we would share notes with each other. 
So it's not that weird that Matthew and Luke would look at what Mark was sharing and double check. Oh, I left that part out. Let me add that. And they'd choose what they would put in and what they wouldn't. That's called redaction, which means they're like, well, I can't put everything in there. Like this morning, there's so much I want to share with you, but I've got to pick and choose. So what they did was, is they picked and choose what they wanted to share because they each had a message to get across. Because that's what you do in ancient writing. They wanted to write it, but they write it to get a message across. There was something they wanted to get across. So when you look through Mark, the first book, what Mark wanted to do, and half of that is Jesus on the, is the last week of Jesus' life, is the Passion Week. So if you look at the book of Mark, which is the shorter one, it gets right to the point, and Mark really wanted everyone to know that Jesus was the suffering servant from Isaiah. From the prophecy of Isaiah, he wanted to show historically how he matched up. And so that's what he focused on. You've got Matthew. Matthew is trying to explain to the Jews that Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic promises. And so that's why you see so much of that in there, connecting and trying to explain how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish promise. And then you get to Luke, and Luke's focus is um, uh, Luke was a doctor and a historian. And so he wanted to take all of what he heard and what he saw and pull it together. And he talked with Paul and some other people and he put it together based on all of the research he did. And he especially wanted to focus on the poor and how Jesus walks with the poor. So when you go through the book of Luke, that's why you see him emphasizing that. Because he knew what Matthew talked about. He knew what Mark talked about. And there's another source that we won't get into. But he wanted to show that part of Jesus. And then John especially wanted to focus on the deity of Christ. On him as the son of God. The word spoken. And so they all have this emphasis they're trying to get across. And so when you look at that, you need to understand where those came from. And most of us don't know. We just read it and we're like, yeah, whatever. I know it's true. It's got to be. Everybody says so. But you have to do this research for yourself. There's so much more in there. Well, the years that they were written, uh, Mark was the first one. It was written most conservatively, we believe, in the 60s. Not 1960s, but the 60s. The zero, six, zero. And so in the 60s, if you're conservatively dating when it was written, it was written then. Well, that's 30 years after Jesus died. It's kind of a long time for us, isn't it, right? Like, if you're going to write a, a biography of Rick's life, you're not going to wait 30 years to do it because you could forget things, right? That's what we would traditionally think. So to see that gap, I was like, wait, what's the deal here? That's a bit of a gap. Well, then you get to the other books. Matthew and Luke were written about the same time in the 70s. They're about a decade apart each. And then you get to um, uh, John and conservatively in the 80s. We have to understand something about ancient writing, which I didn't understand. Um, the next closest writing that we have of ancient times, of a biography, that was intended to be a biography, is about Augustus Caesar. That one, which when you go to your history classes, historians trust that. They put their weight into that. That was written 400 years after Caesar died. There was two biographies. I won't go into the names. You won't remember them. But there were two people that wrote biographies of Augustus Caesar. They wrote those 400 years later. Yet no one questions those because they were based on source material. Okay, so you have these gospels. They look like news flashes, don't they? When you consider 400 years versus just 30 years or 20 years. But that's the conservative estimate. Okay? 
I know some of you aren't into history and you're like, why are we doing this? Because it's important. It's important to understand why do we trust these gospels? How do we trust that these are eyewitness accounts? Okay, well, let's look at this now. You've got um, uh, a guy named Papias and a guy named Polycarp. These were guys that wrote about those books. You have to understand that Polycarp and Papias, who are, are together, they knew people that were alive at Jesus' time. Because it's only like 30 years, right? And so they, in fact, that's, how, that's one of the reasons why we know that Mark was the first one. And we know it was written from Peter because Papias shared that. And Polycarp was buddies with people that saw Christ rise. They saw the resurrected Christ. And so you've got these two men that are referring to this source material. That are going back to this and sharing that this is trustworthy because they know people that have read these scriptures and said, yep, that's all true. People that were alive at that time that can verify that. Okay, now if you look in your Bibles, right after the Gospels, right after John, you're going to see the book of Acts. Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote Luke. Okay, by the way, Luke didn't say, hey, this is the book of Luke. Here it is, my book. He didn't write that. We call it the book of Luke because of who it came from. So then the book of Acts, um, if you read all the way through Acts, at the end, Paul doesn't die. We know that Paul was killed, but the book of Acts ends without Paul being dead, which is extremely helpful for us because that gives us a timing for the book of Acts. When it possibly ended. Now, we don't know this for sure. But why wouldn't you include that, right? It's like common sense. If Paul died, you'd put that in there. Okay, so if we go there, um, it's about uh, 62 AD that Paul was killed. Okay, we know that he died then. So we know that the book of Acts has to be earlier than that. Okay, which means that if it was written in, if he died in 62, then we know that Acts had to be before that. Luke had to be before that. So then that pushes everything up. Because remember, Luke was supposed to be in the 60s. Well, we're moving into the 50s now. And we're trying to be conservative here, so we'll say it just took him a year, which is probably not how long it took. But if he wrote the book of Acts before Paul died, we'll put that in like 61. And then if he wrote the book of Acts, then we've got to do um, Luke. Well, that's got to be at least 60, right? I mean, you've got to write Acts, and then, then you could have, after you finish Luke, you can do Acts. So we're talking like 60, which moves it up at least 10 years. Which means if that's moved up, so is the book of Mark. So now the book of Mark is either in the early 50s or even in the 40s. Well, Jesus was crucified from our understanding in 32 AD. Now we're talking like 8 years to 15 years. It's getting closer and closer. Um, But I want us to go to Paul and look at his writings. So you look in your Bible, you see Matthew, Mark, Luke. We just assume it's chronological, but that's not the way they formed it. The letters of Paul were written before the Gospels. So those are written even earlier, like in the 40s. So I want to show something from 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians 15. And he's writing, uh, Paul is, and like I said, these are before the Gospels. He is writing to the early church. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. I love that framing right there, which you've received. And because of this gospel, this good news, you have taken your stand. One of my favorite things is um, Martin Luther, when they wanted him to, um, to not say that justification was in Christ alone. And they said, look, we're going to kill you 
And he said, I will not, I cannot recant. Here I stand. Like he said, this is where I stand. I stand on what Christ promised, who he is. And that's what Paul is saying here. That gospel which I preached to you, which you received. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. Well, what is Paul talking about? Is this his thing he just made up? No, he goes on here in verse 3. And they all know what he's referring to. If you go to the next slide, please, John. He shares where he got this from. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What scriptures? Think about that for a second. This was written before the gospels. So what is he referring to? We know that the Bible is filled with poems, the New Testament is filled with poems and scriptures and sayings that there were creeds that they trusted. If you go to Philippians 2, 5 through 11, one of my favorite ones, um, we, we teach it all the time here on Sunday mornings in the back, everywhere. Have this attitude in you which was in Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Is that sounding familiar? That is one of the creeds of the early church. So that is one of the things that Paul is referring to. They had that. And in those creeds, they would talk about Jesus dying and being raised again. Um, In Colossians, Paul refers to um, another one of the creeds or one of the poems that was familiar. The scriptures that he's referring to. Remember, this is in the year probably like 40-ish or so. And he's saying... That you know those scriptures, those beliefs, those creeds that were passed down. This is in the 40s, right? Even if they're as late as the 50s, there's people that saw Christ die and rise again. And he's holding on to these. If he's lying about these, people are going to know. Right? If I told you, remember that chart, that, that, that Super Bowl, the Chargers one? You're alive. You've been alive most of the time that the San Diego Chargers have existed. It wouldn't be very hard for you to find out, dude, the Chargers made it to one Super Bowl. And when they got there, they got blown out. Like, you're alive to know these things. If I said, hey, you remember that time when Gerald Ford, when he got elected president? Never happened. You would know that because you were alive during that time or you knew people that were alive during this time. So when Paul is sharing this, they could verify these things. In Colossians... Um, it says that, um, that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That was one of the scriptures they held on to because they trusted that. It was passed down from people that were alive at the time of Jesus. And what is it that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas? Cephas is Peter. Um, that's who he's referring to, Cephas. And then to the twelve. Okay? That's powerful right there. And then let's go to the next verse, verse 6, to the end of what we're going to be looking at here. Do you have that one, John, the next one? There you go, 6 through 8. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom, at the time that he's writing this, are still living, though some have fallen asleep, meaning died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. He's making fun of himself. Um, And last of all, he appeared to me also. This is eyewitness account. This is where the weight is being placed. 
if he's lying, they're going to know. Because he's saying, we all know these people that have seen Jesus rise from the dead. Now, when you hear this, you still have so much more research to do on your own. You have so much more you need to look into on your own. But for me, this began the process for me. And this was the beginning of the process for me of saying, why do I want to trust these scriptures? How do I know they're historically accurate? How do I know that Jesus walked on the water? How do I know that Jesus um, healed the sick? How do I know that these words are actually from Jesus? How do I know they weren't just these writers making things up? How do I not know this is just a myth? Like Osiris and Isis. Like, how do I know this isn't just being made up? Because there were people that wanted to make sure that it wasn't mixed in with the myths. And they wanted to historically root it. And so when we say this creed, we are referring to a historical creed that is pointing to historical facts and evidence. Now, you have to decide whether you trust that evidence. But we trust things that are a lot less, um, can we say, footnoted that have a lot less credibility to it. This is weighted by historians, including non-believing historians. They just don't want to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But they don't argue with the history of it. You will find very few people that do. And when you do, and trust me, I'm still a pessimist. I'm still a skeptic. I still go to those websites with the people arguing. And I listen to what they say, and I look it up, and I'm like, where is this person coming from? Where did this anger come from? Because it doesn't seem to be rooted in scientific historical methods. It seems to be anger. But you have to come to that conclusion to yourself. You can't just go, well, I heard in church they said, are you going to remember any of these dates? Probably not. Are you going to remember some of these facts? Probably not. You probably weren't writing down the notes. You need to do this for yourself. Instead of just taking something because someone gives it to you, you need to say, do I believe in this? Do I trust this? When you believe and trust into something, there's weight there's consequences. Charles Finley. Guessing you've never heard of him because I didn't either. He's Cuban. And he was the one that found out that yellow fever came from mosquitoes. And um, so he's Cuban. And nobody believed it. They believed it was airborne. They believed that like, you know, you'd breathe or you'd touch someone and bam, you got yellow fever. And yet, he was confident but not 100% certain. And so he wanted to prove it. He just knew it. He trusted. He put his weight into it. Much like when you say this creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord. When you say that, you can say it, but you're like, am I 100% certain? More importantly, are you going to put your weight into that? Because we, what we can do with these songs, in fact, uh, more love, more power. I saw the word Lord in there. We can sing it on Sundays, but what matters are, are we going to live it Monday through Saturday? Well, Charles Finley, which still blows me away that a Cuban guy's last name was Findley. Not Finley, but Findlay. Anyways, he got a bunch of his patients that had yellow fever and he put them in a room. And they netted it off and they left them in there for a while to make sure there were no mosquitoes. And then to prove that what everybody else was saying was wrong, he walked into that room and lived there for a period of time. Putting himself at risk of this deadly disease, yellow fever. He's got this pa these patients dying around him. But he was so confident that it was from mosquitoes. And there were no mosquitoes in there that he couldn't get it. That he walked in. Think of the risk that he took. I believe that it's from mosquitoes. Well, then walk in there. Not going to happen. But Charles Finley 
trusted and believed in it. So he walked into that room. They closed it. They brought his food in and the whole deal. And he lived in there. And of course, he never caught yellow fever. Because it comes from mosquitoes. You've got to decide where do you want to put your trust, your weight, your confidence. Because everything that we're talking about, when we talk about what we believe, doesn't matter until you live it out. And you can see what God does when you put him to his promises. When you put God to who he claims to be, you'll never see it. I want to close with this. This is, um, this is during the time of when people were being killed because they were claiming in this creed that Jesus was their Lord, which obviously didn't go well with the Roman authorities. Um, they were called martyrs. They were called martyrs for a reason. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but this is what happened in one of the accounts of one of these martyrs. One of them is urged... Uh, by the judge, you are to obey the decrees of the emperors and Caesars. And this is what the martyr replied. Martyr is someone that dies for their faith. Quote, I care only for the law of God. This I have learned. This I obey, for it I am to die. In it, I wish to finish my life. Beside it, there is no other law. And he was killed. That word martyr, that is the word for witness. When you want evidence, you can talk about it. We can look historically, but if you want a witness, when you want to look at someone that believed it with all of their heart and put their life on the line, literally, and was killed for their faith in a place where they wanted him to put someone else above Jesus as their Lord. When we're going through this creed, we've got to make these decisions. Like, what do I believe? And we talked about what believe means. It means to trust, to put your confidence, to rely on. If you could um, join me in prayer by standing. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And they've chosen a couple songs um, to lead us. Um, Actually, I just asked you guys to stand, and really there's no reason to stand, because this is the first song you're not supposed to stand. Sorry. So you can keep standing if you want. Um, but you can also sit down. This song that they've chosen um, talks about Jesus as our Savior and as our pilot. And our pilot meaning guiding and leading us. Um, pray through that. You can sing along if you want, but really think about what that means. And then um, we're also going to be taking the offering during that time. So let me pray for that uh, offering. Father, this, uh, this offering is to you. And we trust uh, that you will provide for those in need. And so we ask, Lord, that you would use us to do that. That you would use us to bless those in need. Uh, or whatever it is that's important. Father, we want to rely and put our confidence in you. You are our Lord. So, Father, we... Uh, Lay all of that at your feet, including the the prayers that are on the connection cards and the unspoken prayers, um, the requests. But we lay them at your feet, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.